This week, we're introducing a Friday flashback with one of my favorite people to interview. What is a Friday flashback, at least in terms of what we're doing? Well, stick around and find out on this week's C10 podcast. Hi there, and welcome to episode 102 of the C10 podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation. I thank you in advance for hitting that subscribe button so you'd never miss an episode. I'm Matt Folks, Executive Director of C in the Major Leagues and host of this podcast, and I'm so happy that you have chosen to spend a few minutes here, and I think you're going to be happy that you did as well. This week might have been more appropriate if, instead of episode 102, it was episode 101 or 16. I'll come back to those numbers here in a moment. Earlier this week, my wife, who spent the first 28 years of her life outside the Midwest, saw a social media post about the Chiefs heading to the Super Bowl, and it referenced number 16. And she asked me, who's number 16? Well, that was Len Dawson, I told her. And she knows enough about football and the Chiefs greats and has lived in Kansas City long enough to know Len Dawson was one of the best ever for the Chiefs, first as a Hall of Fame quarterback and then as a Hall of Fame broadcaster. She also knows that Lenny, who died in August at the age of 87, is one of my all-time favorite interviews. I had the chance to interview him countless times for articles and book projects and so on. By the way, in case you didn't know, Dawson led the Chiefs to Super Bowls 1 and 4, and that was a time when players didn't make very much money playing in the NFL or the American Football League, the AFL, which we now know as the AFC. So Lenny, as a player, began a long career as a sports anchor at KNBC Channel 9 here in Kansas City. And he became the longtime radio analyst, including a long stretch when the flagship station was 101 The Fox. He also was an analyst on NBC broadcasts and had the longtime show on HBO inside the NFL. Dawson was enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a player in 1987. And then in 2012, he received the Pete Rozelle Radio Television Award from the Hall of Fame, becoming just the third person to be honored as both a player and a broadcaster. As I've thought about Len Dawson this week, especially with the Chiefs going back to the Super Bowl this year, I started listening to a couple interviews that I'd recorded with him. And that brings me to this Friday flashback. What you're about to hear is one of those interviews. Coincidentally, as this episode drops on February 3rd, this interview was recorded exactly 13 years ago, on February 3rd, 2010. I used to co-host a morning show with another longtime KNBC sports anchor, Dave Stewart, on a streaming radio station. And this was an interview that Dave and I did with Lenny a few days before that year's Super Bowl. And it's, it's especially fun to go back and listen to this, knowing the relationship that, that Len Dawson and Dave Stewart had. I've taken out some of the questions about that year's game, but what you're going to hear is a fun conversation about the early days of the Super Bowl, specifically, obviously, Super Bowls 1 and 4. As we focus this podcast on leadership and mentoring, though, I want you to listen for that. Len Dawson, known as Lenny the Cool, was a great leader on the field, and the coach of those Chiefs teams at that time, Hank Stram, was a great leader. A lot of that will come out during these next few minutes. Again, this is episode 102, and we've done something like this only once in our previous 101 episodes, so we won't have many of these Friday flashback shows for you, but this week is special. 
and this guest is special. We start off asking Lenny about the media focus and interviews that players have to go through today compared to what the Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers faced before what we now know as Super Bowl One. I hope you enjoy it. Well, it was interesting if, uh, because there wasn't anything organized. And uh, we were in Long Beach, and uh, the Packers, with Vince Lombardi as their coach, they were occupying the Rams' practice facilities. And I think that uh, Lombardi said, okay, you guys can come over here and talk to us once. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so since you know, since they couldn't talk to them, you know, we're the new kid on the block, the American Football League, you know, in this game. And they're knocking on our doors at, at the hotel that we're, motel, wherever we were staying, you know, to get interviews. So uh, a lot of the uh, newspapers back east, because it was Green Bay and Kansas City, two small markets, mm. they weren't even concerned about that game. They didn't send anybody to cover it. They would have uh, the AP or UPI handled the situation uh it you know it was interesting and of course hank stram said now listen don't give these people any uh information that could be on the bulletin board of <laughs> and so we had fred the hammer williamson that's like you know oh. you know yeah right mm-hmm. you know he's telling about hey, he's gonna knock this guy out knock that guy out from what i understand you you mentioned reporters knocking on doors i mean that was guys basically went door to door for interviews didn't they yeah, right. You know, they come in. Got a minute? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. And so, yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of reporters now, but, you know, now they, they have all the players in the room at a table. Uh, and, uh, you can go around to the various tables and talk with these guys for about, what, an hour or something like that. It's funny you talk about the money. And, of course, you were the fifth overall pick in the 1957 draft taken by Pittsburgh. Mark Sanchez, the quarterback from USC, was the fifth overall pick this past year. Five years, $50 million contract. Did you ever imagine that the game would lead to this kind of riches for players today? Absolutely not. You know, and that's because of television, because television provided the money for, you know, the owners to give away that type of take-up money right now but um i would end uh as you probably know i probably told you i was the number one uh, draft choice and so i was being flown to Pittsburgh to uh, meet with the steelers and uh the steelers office was in a hotel downtown because they played at forbes field and there were no offices at forbes field because forbes field also was the home of the pittsburgh pirates baseball team so i went to the roosevelt hotel and uh, into Mr. Art Rooney's office. Well, I look in there, and he's smoking a big cigar, and he's reading the racing forms. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, he had horses that, that raced, and the horses made money for him. The football team did. I think the football team lost money. And I know that I'm, I'm, there are no things called agents in those days, Joe. <laughs> Here it is, a 22-year-old going in to negotiate. Are you kidding me? Negotiate a contract. And so Art Rooney said, young man, I hope you're going to be as successful in the professional ranks as you have been at the collegiate ranks. And someday, someday we can pay you what the top players in the league are making, anywhere from eighteen to $20,000 a year. And I said, oh, my God, geez, that, you know, I played all this, this game because I loved it. Now I'm going to get paid for it. And so I, I was their number one draft pick, and I signed a contract, uh, and it were just 
you know, a year contract. There was no multi-year deals back in those days. And uh, I actually got a bonus. So I got a $2,000 bonus. Wow. And my, my contract was $12,000 uh, a year. And back in those days, you only played, you know, there were 12 teams and they played 12 games. And everything was finished before Christmas time. It's not like it is today. And so I'm thinking, geez, I, you know, I found the mother load here, mister. <laughs> you pay me to play this game? All right. But it's a little different. It's a little different today. Mm-hmm. How much even between Super Bowls one and four had this championship game changed? I changed a great deal because they were much more organized because they threw together that first, well, they didn't call it Super Bowl. They called it what, mm. the World Championship game. Yeah. And uh, thought that they could sell tickets down in uh, Los Angeles. And they did. They, they, but that thing would hold 100 and something. But there's a lot of seats that were in the end zone that were not good seats at all. So I know that they showed that several times, saying there wasn't a sellout. Well, it would be very difficult to sell that place out. There wasn't, you know, the television wasn't, uh, you know, a big deal in those, those particular days. It got better as, you know, they went along. And uh, I never, after Super Bowl one, envisioned that this game would be what it is today. Uh, this is unbelievable what you know what has happened over all these years. But from uh, one to four, it got much improved, much more organized, and uh, the the thing was uh, was better run in those days after four. But it's not nothing like it is today. That week was was very challenging for you a lot of levels, and one of the reasons being that there were these gambling charges that that Len Dawson somehow was involved in a gambling ring. And yeah. I remember one of the stories that you told me that Hank Stram came to you in your room and said, "Lenny, what are we going to do? Well, let's talk to the media and and tell them I don't have anything to do with this." And, and your approach was the direct re- approach. Let's talk about it and just get it out there and get past it. Yeah, tell the truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the thing was, you know, I, you know, I hadn't seen this guy in years. I didn't really know him that well. Uh, I had no idea that he was a bookie or whatever he was doing. Uh, came from a very wealthy family out of Detroit, from what I understood. Uh, and you know, he was a personal friend of mine. And uh, and he he had called that year because, as you know, my father passed away, and he called to offer his condolences. Uh, when my my father passed away, also I, I hurt my knee that uh, that year, and he condolences uh, to me regarding that. That's the only time, and that's how they found my put my name because they I guess they had uh, phone numbers that he had had that uh, related to a lot of people, and there are a lot of people. Well, I was just the first. I was just one of many many people, you know. But I was the quarterback starting quarterback in Super Bowl four, so. You know, well, here the attention comes to me. And I remember that they were having a big conference uh, in uh, Hank's room. And I was there, and I was fighting the cold, and I'm taking a nap. <laughs> so that's how much it that's how much it bothered me. <laughs> and uh, they're trying to determine what to do. I think they had Joe McGuff in there, and they had uh, Stedman and Lamar Hunt and Hank trying to determine, you know, what to say to the media because they had to address that. I said, what the hell are we telling what the truth? I do know the guy. You know, I haven't talked to him or seen him in years, but uh, I do know him. I don't, don't know anything about who does. And uh, so that's the approach that they took. And plus the fact that they had the, they, you know, it was intriguing. I had to make a movie out of this damn thing because <laughs> uh, I had my, my buddy, Pittsburgh Joe, who was a friend of mine I went to Purdue with, and uh, he's he's guiding me around the, 
the hallways and the stairways to get to the NFL's uh, guy that's in charge of security and all that stuff. And he's interviewing me, you know, interviewing me about all this stuff. And I did, and I was tired. I fell asleep. He says, I've, he said, I've, I've interviewed murderers and rapists and all. He said, I've never had anybody fall asleep. <laughs> he said, this, 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 there's no, no substance to, to the story about this guy. And so, uh, you know, that's the way it was. And so, uh, you know, I was just, you know, put a lot of strain on not just me, but my family. I mean, that's a problem. You know, a story like that gets out, you know, though, who does it affect? It affects the people around you. And that's what upset me, but uh, there was nothing I'd do about it. Well, I talked to Hank about it about, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, and I asked him if he was concerned how it would affect the team. And he said, this is how much it affected the team. He said, the next morning we had breakfast. I let the guys, if they wanted to ask any questions about what was going on, they could. And he said, it was silent, and suddenly E.J. Hollib raised his hand and said, Yeah, Coach, I got a question. When do we eat, and when do we get our tickets? <laughs> he said, I knew then that we were in pretty good shape. Yeah, and our banish was mad because, what the hell, I'm from Detroit. <laughs> he, says, he says, it's taking all, all the glory you know, about the Super Bowl. You know, it should be about me. I was from Detroit myself. So, you know, the, the, the teammates were great. You know, they knew there was nothing to it. And, uh, you know, they just, they, they just laughed it off. This is J.R. Buckner, President and CEO of First Federal Bank of Kansas City. We hope you're enjoying this week's conversation. For this week's Student Spotlight, I'd like you to meet one of the students in our C10 Mentoring and Leadership Program. My name is Avery Ward. I go to Piper High School, and my favorite thing about C10 is getting to meet new people and make new friends. First Federal Bank of Kansas City is proud to make a donation this week to the Post High School Scholarship Fund for seniors in the C10 Mentoring and Leadership Program. If you'd like to join us in this effort to give our future leaders an opportunity after high school, please click on the link in the show's notes. Now back to this week's conversation. It's amazing, as as you mentioned, the knee injury that you had to deal with that year and the assortment of quarterbacks that, that filled the job, and it was supposed to be Jackie Lee initially, and he got hurt, and all of a sudden, the rookie Mike Livingston has to play and has to play well, surrounded by greatness. I mean, there was so much talent on that team, but how different would your life have been if you had knee surgery, I mean, because that would have been it for you for the year, and and you were that close to having oh, surgery. Gee. I got hurt in the in the Boston game. It was then the Boston Patriots, not the New England Patriots, and we were playing at Harvard, and uh, we were ahead thirty-one to nothing. And I had uh, also had an injury to my my hand. I had skin torn off my left hand, the back of my hand, in a preseason game. And we played San Diego and won that game. And the first one, we were at 31 to nothing in the fourth quarter. And I'm still in there. You know, that's how coaches really. Yeah, <laughs> bad coaching. Injury. <laughs> and so it was uh, third and long, and I knew I had to throw. And so what happened was I, it, it was throwing the ball, and the, all the weight was on the left, left leg. And, uh, and I felt something happen. And I went to the sidelines and had the doctor check it, and he couldn't find anything that he thought was wrong at that particular time. And so we got the ball back, and I go back into the game. <laughs> you know, hmm. that's how my, you know the coaches are paying attention, right? <laughs> and so, uh, and I tried a handoff, and oh, I could barely make a handoff, so I just left. I walked off the field, and the next day I went to uh, the doctor, and uh, it was really hurting, really hurting. And uh, he took some x-rays net and he came back oh my god my god so what's wrong he said well i don't know he said might have ligament damage 
And he says, you know, that's, that's a doesn't will explain it to me. He said, well, it's like a handkerchief. If you tear it, it's not going to go back together. You've got to sew it back. I said, you better call Hank. So he called Stram, and Stram says, oh, hell, I had that when I was at Purdue when I was playing. <laughs> sure he, said, he said, I, I never missed a game. Said, of course, I'm a lot tougher than Len Dawson. He said, he backed me out. And uh, I saw, let's see, about seven orthopedic surgeons. And what Henry did he uh, made arrangements for me to go to Oklahoma City to see uh, the doctor down there who was famous uh, for knee surgeries. And uh, what had happened was they put my leg in a cast so I couldn't move it. So I go down to Oklahoma City, and that doctor isn't there. He's at a convention someplace for orthopedic surgeons. And uh, they put me in the hospital, and they had his uh, assistants, you know, other doctors. And uh, I said, "What do you think?" Oh, I, we can't, we can't tell you anything. So the doctor's got O'Donnell or McDonald or something like that was his name. He said, "I said, aren't you doctors?" <laughs> I said, "Yes, but we can't say anything until this the, the big guy comes comes back." You know. So here was the deal. Uh, my wife was with me, and uh, the, the deal was they were going to uh, examine it. Uh, by taking pictures of both knees uh, that uh, see what the good knee would look like and then the other knee that was was damaged, what it was. And uh, if it looked like I needed surgery, they were going to do it. So they prepped me. I was, you know, they, you know, when they say, well, count from 100, well, you get to what, 98, and that's all you remember. <laughs> I, I, woke, I woke up in the hospital bed thinking that perhaps I had an operation, you know, and so I said, how did the, my wife said, how did the, and she said, you didn't have one. I said, what? He said, no, Hank called. He said, he has another doctor for you to see, mm. uh, which was the best decision that ever made at the time. It didn't look like it, but there was Dr. Reynolds, who was the orthopedic surgeon for the then St. Louis football Cardinals. He had a different theory uh, on this because I was in the twilight zone and the theory was that uh, you you get on crutches, you put no weight whatsoever on the damaged knee for at least two weeks to see if maybe it's in the twilight area, it may start to mend itself. And so that's what I did. Uh, went back, uh, Mo Morgan, uh the next week hurt his knee. And so Hank sent him with me to St. Louis to see this doctor. And I, I religiously did it. I didn't go to the bathroom without crutches. I didn't do anything. You know, I was always on crutches, put no weight on it whatsoever. And uh, so Mo goes in, he's banged up his knee. And so the doctor examines me. He said, I see some progress. He says, great, do it again. And what I was doing is leg lifts every day, you know, so the leg didn't atrophy. And then he examined Mo and he said, it's amazing. He has the same thing you have. I said, are you prescribing the same uh, treatment? Oh, yes. So he gave Mo the uh, the crutches. And so we fly back to Kansas City to our facility, that wonderful facility out there on 63rd Street. Mm -hmm. So part, yeah. You know, yeah. And so they were practicing, so we we're going out to practice. And I'm hollering on my crutches going down here. Well, Mo takes his and throws them in his locker. I said, what are you doing? You know, I'm not going to let those guys see me on crutches. I said, well, I am because if somebody had made their block, I would. <laughs> and so the long story was that I have never... I'm going to knock on wood right now. I have never had a problem 
with my knee. And uh, Mo Mormon's career was cut short because, uh, you know, he's a guard. And he's in the middle of all that activity mm-hmm. anyway. So eventually he had to have the knee operation and cut his career short. But uh, Henry didn't know anything about, you know, Purdue is an engineering and agricultural school yes. primarily. It's not a medical school. And I asked him, I said, where'd you get all this information, you know? This medical information. You and I went to the same university. <laughs> he said, but he always had the answer or something. But that, you know, was the best move that he could have made because it uh, prolonged my career. Now, at Purdue, when you think back, okay, Stram was an assistant when you played there, and George Steinbrenner. Do you remember anything about him, and and who knew he was going to get into the shipping business and the baseball business, and you know what he became more than fifty years later? But what do you remember about Steinbrenner? He wanted to be a coach. Hmm. He was a coach. He worked for Lou Saban at Northwestern. And uh, Lou got fired up there. It might have been because Purdue beat him. We beat him 55 to nothing one year. And, and so he came to Purdue, took some courses there. I think one of his, his children was born in uh, West Lafayette. And uh, he, wanted to, he wanted to be a football coach. Until his father says, look, pal, <laughs> he says, I'm not going to run the shipping business. You know, all my, you know, I'll take some time off. Either you come back and, you know, start running it or, you know, I'm going to sell the thing. And so he, he decided the best thing to do is to uh, to go back to Cleveland, Ohio, and run that shipping business. But it was interesting. Uh, Dick uh, Schapp, you remember him? Yeah, yeah maybe. Was so. writing, yeah, mm-hmm. was writing a book on, on George Steinberg. He said, I got to... He said, I got to verify something that George Steinbrenner said. He said, the two things that he, uh, he says that was most important to him in his college coaching career was working with Lou Saban at Northwestern and helping uh, Len Dawson become a pro, pro football style quarterback. <laughs> and I got to thinking, uh, Lou Saban, gentlemen, at one time was president of the New York Yankees. Now, Lou Saban is the football coach. Mm-hmm. Huh. He didn't know anything about baseball. And I figured he was president, and, and George put him in that position. Hell, I'd settle for vice president. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I told Dick Schaap, oh, you can't believe the advice that uh, George Steinbrenner gave me. I said, he, I had a builder who was feeling sorry for myself, and uh, he set me down and told me how oh, you got to play with pain and all that stuff. And so, uh, and I did, you know, I went out and did it, and boy, that was a great lesson that he taught me mm. that helped professional football. But uh, I never heard from George through uh, anything about any vice presidency. It's <laughs> <laughs> all for not. But he was, uh, he wasn't really a coach. Uh, they recruited out of Ohio. I'm from Ohio and, uh, recruited heavily out of Ohio. And, uh, George would send guys out to Purdue, you know, pay their way and stuff like that, but you could do back those days. Well, Len, we appreciate your time today. I appreciate that gentlemen. Thank you. Well, that does it for this episode of the C10 mentoring and leadership podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, we hope that you'll leave a favorable review on your favorite podcast platform. If you didn't enjoy it or you have other comments or suggestions for potential guests, you can click on the comment link in the show's notes. We drop a new episode at the end of every week, but be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an interview. And if you or your company would like to help underwrite this podcast, let me know. Until next time, this is Matt Folks for the See You in the Major Leagues Foundation saying be safe and take care.